Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome everyone to another one of the Tennis Legends vodcasts here on Eurosport. And uh, as always, I'm joined by the former great Spanish player, Alex Correcha. And we also have two players uh, joining us today, uh, Anastasia Pavlichenkova, uh, back home in uh, Moscow and Russia, and Jürgen Meltzer, uh, the great Austrian. So first, Alex, I'm going to ask you, uh, because we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I know you're, you're still in Spain. What's the situation going on in Spain when it comes to the coronavirus? Well, hello everyone, and of course, a pleasure as always being with you guys and uh, Matt's uh, next to you again. Uh, well, things are getting better, I have to say. Uh, in a way, we feel like way more positive than a couple of weeks ago. At the same time, we are a little bit more concerned because we feel like, oh, this is over, you know, coronavirus disappeared, and it's not. So people are getting a little bit like conscious that we cannot just believe that everything is gone already. So it's looking more positive, but I don't think we need to underestimate anyone. It's like if you are leading maybe 6-2, 4-1, and you believe that you won already the match, that would be so bad. That happened to me a few times. Yeah, yeah, with, with, with the serves that the four of us have, being up a break doesn't mean much. Uh, um, Anastasia, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Obviously, you, you are part of the WTA uh, tour board. Um, you're still playing. Um, now you're, you're back in, in Moscow. What, what's, how is your daily life? It sounds extremely busy without being on tour. So tell us a little bit about your involvement in, in the women's professional tennis. Yeah, it's been extremely busy actually. We've, um, we literally have like almost three calls a week, you know, especially right now with this pandemic situation. So apart from practicing all the time, we're also trying to get involved as much as we can in the course and, you know, try to have players and ourselves of course as well. Um, what I've learned on the, being on the council, it's just, you know, because before I was always selfish, I feel, I feel like most of the athletes and tennis players like very selfish because you have your daily routines and it's all about you, you know? So like nowadays, 
I also like try to learn about other lower rank players and everybody and because you know everybody is in the same boat and it's super um, challenging times right now for everybody so it's very it's been very active for me yeah well I mean I can imagine that and uh, and Jurgen um, obviously you your uh, singles career is I believe I'm not going to speak too soon but you're playing a doubles so you're not playing singles why, why would you choose to hang on and be part of the ATP Players Council? And uh, do you think that kind of li likes of you need a voice? Do you have a voice? Well, first of all, yes, my singles career is over. So I have a little <laughs> more time. Um, last year at Wimbledon, when um, a few players left the Players Council, the rest of the remaining council, they asked Roger, Rafa and me if we can just, you know, jump in and help with our experience that we have gained over the last 20 years on tour. So I said yes, it was for me. I have been on the council already before in 2014 once. And I felt this time we were a strong or we are a strong group of individuals that um, have a lot of experience. and. It's been very challenging those last weeks, but I think in the end, we tried to work out something that's, you know, the best for the players. What you also learned in the last weeks, you cannot make it right for everybody. There is no perfect scenario that you can come up with and say, okay, guys, this is how we do it and everybody is going to be happy. So you have to kind of learn to accept criticism but to learn from it and to make it better the next time or to, you know, come up with better ideas. But it's been a very challenging time, I would say, the last, well, six to eight weeks. Mm. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. Uh, Alex, I'm going to ask you before you, I'm going give to give you the word, Alex, but I think that for me, Alex, and I'm going to ask you, this is a time when obviously the ATP and the WTA, we're talking about professional tennis. This is also a time that the International Tennis Federation and the Grand Slams, the US Open and French Open are making some seriously important decisions because what's happening now is not only affecting the professional sport, it's really affecting the amateur sport. The French Open survives because of the French Open. The US Open, they need to play for the USTA to make money. So is this, Alex, maybe a time when this is not about the best players in the world only. It's about the sport that has given us all these great champions, the likes of Arthur Ashe, Billie Jean King, political heavyweights is what tennis is about. Well, I believe yes, because especially on these days, it shows that it's not just about few players. You know, I think the tennis world moves a lot of money all over the world, especially Grand Slams, of course. And I think it would be nice to realize that they need to give support to so many players because otherwise we're going to just make a restriction to only a few people in the world will make the living, you know. And I, I believe it's very unfair because if you compare to other sports where they make so many millions, um, I think which they have so many athletes. Here we have so many athletes, but very little ones are making a living. And I think it's good that they're realizing and, and the players, they're putting together now. Uh, Nastasia said before, uh, maybe I was more selfish and now I realize, well, hopefully everybody will realize that they didn't need to think about themselves only. And it's good that they've got Jürgen and all the other people involved. Nastasia, 
how excited you are because you're gonna start presumably starting in Palermo and I don't know if you were involved in the decisions or not but how are you feeling about it? I mean we obviously try to be well I mean we involved completely but also we can't control a lot of sponsors and tournaments and make decisions for them you know so which is mm -hmm. we give a lot of feedback and our opinions and like Jurgen said from the experience we try also I try to I speak to a lot of players and Unfortunately, the feedback is not always positive, especially right now. I, I mean, more than half of the players, they don't want to play. They just want to cancel the season because it's a very special situation. So um, everybody is afraid. Everybody is afraid to travel. Nobody feels completely safe. And then it's just doubts, a lot of doubts, you know. So, of course, I, I was very excited to start this season because I'm an athlete, so I want to play and I can't just stay at home without matches. But at the same time, I'm trying to, you know, the closer we get to the season, the more I start to think and look around and, you know, we get a lot of positive cases more and more. And then you, you start to back off a little bit saying like, okay, damn, like I'm actually afraid to go. But, um, but overall, of course, I'm excited. I would love to play, just uh, trying to find this middle of being safe and still play something. Jorgen, what do you think? Because obviously uh, the ATP Tour is, is made, out, uh, made up from uh, different nationalities. I think in America, um, I, don't, I don't know if the American players want to uh, start playing. But on the other hand, the U.S. Open and Cincinnati uh, are supposed to be played. What, I mean, give us some sense. Is it even possible that we're going to have uh, tournaments with a decent number of uh, highly ranked players? What are we expecting to, to happen? I think in the end, I would say 80%, maybe even 90% are going to show up at the U.S. Open. There is a few, I mean... When we come down to the US Open, they have tried everything in their power to make it player friendly. I mean, they were very keen on talking to us. They, they wanted our feedback. I mean, they gave us a few param parameters that couldn't be changed. You know, we can only have an X amount of, of uh, people on site. We have to stay in the airport hotel. But around that, you know, with a player plus one traveling, now we can have a second hotel room in the JFK hotel. So I think in the end, they tried to make it as player friendly as possible. And having the price money that they are going to have and players not having had a job the last, you know, four months, five months, players will show up. And right. I think, I'm not talking about Washington because it's, you know, I haven't, heard anything of the concept yet how how they want to do it are they going to create a bubble or not but let's say the thing how US Open is going to be run with being in a bubble having only go having to go from the tournament back to the hotel so on and forth I think there is a chance that we are or I'm very well convinced that we are very well protected and there can only be there can always be a you know, a positive test. I mean, you can go to the supermarket at home and you can have it. But I think what's very important is that we decrease the risk as much as possible. And in my opinion, the US Open is doing that. Mm. We will, I mean, it's always easier to be smart after, but at the moment I have a feeling that the players are protected the best way 
you can protect somebody in a pandemic. That's my feeling. I don't know how you feel, Anastasia, how, what, what your discussions have been with the US Open, but I spoke to Eric Buderak, I spoke to Pat Galbraith. I had the feeling they are trying everything they can. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. They, they do, of course. And we appreciate all that because like we, we didn't have Wimbledon, for example, you know, and they're still trying to um, make everything possible now at the US Open. But of course, everybody and me, myself, I have a few concerns regarding the bubble because you have a bubble, but that at the same time, there is also a housing possible, you know, that the US Open provides. So that's already not really a perfect bubble to me, you know, so... Um, there are a few things like this and then um, also okay now I think we have wheelchair they didn't have before then the qualifying thing like it's all it's all I, I have a lot of concerns about that uh, but it, like you said also it's tough to make everybody I also learned this you're not going to make everybody happy because in the end of the day somebody got to take some decisions and then that's the like it's challenging but um well, I'm not 100% satisfied with the use of, and of course, conditions. I think it's, they're really complicated, but of course, it's probably better to have this than nothing. You know, I think that it's uh, uh, important for people that are listening to, to kind of realize that, that the ATP and the WTA uh, started out as very small players' unions. Um, both of them was literally just, let's try and stick together as players. Uh, there was a famous year in 1973 at Wimbledon when most players boycotted uh, Wimbledon of all tournaments. Um, and in 1990, there was an ATP started for the first time. Before then, it was called a Grand Prix tour run by the International Tennis Federation. You this, were there, much, right? I was there as a vice president. Alex, you've been the president. Um, uh, Jürgen, I'm going I'm to ask you first. Now seems to be a time when the players uh, can be, they can send a very united message, but at the same time, a very unselfish, positive message that we do care about our job, but we care as much about the sport. Is it time to have one united voice between the WTA Tour, the ATP Tour, the Grand Slams? I mean, is, are we getting closer to that? I, I have been asked that question a few times the last few weeks. Um, I would say in a perfect world, if you want to unite tennis and you, you want to have it under one big leadership, I think it would be perfect. I mean, yeah. the, if we have the chance of being a global association, all of a sudden we can you know, fight against soccer or all the other big sports in the world because right now what we have we have the itf on on one side we have the atp then we have the wta just i mean you know you work for tv if all tv rights would be under one big umbrella how much more power would you have that's just one thing i yeah. at least that's my common sense i don't know in the, if it's in reality like that but you know if if the the tv rights for the WTA tour expires in 2020 and then ATP expires 2021 and then how do you negotiate with I don't know let's say I'm just somebody like Netflix they want to buy tennis they have to negotiate with so many different things yeah. that it would be much easier if you could you know be under one umbrella but that's the perfect world 
do we live in a perfect world? No. So, <laughs> well, so, at least we, we, we live in, in a perfect uh, bubble now here, the four of us, <laughs> that we understand each other, which is uh, nice enough. But I don't know, Anastasia, about the perfect world or not. Do you really feel that you have an impact when you take decisions or it's coming like a, a lawyer from the WTA saying, oh, you cannot do that because legally, blah, 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 or the tournament directors, blah, blah, blah. So how difficult is that? Yeah, it is difficult. But um, of course, not all the time I don't have the impact. That's for sure. But, um, but I feel like, of course, they listen to us. Our voices, they pass, you know, and after there's discussion, that's for sure. But um, I don't think it's so easy for somebody like a couple of people from the board to change completely the opinion of uh, sponsors tournaments and make everything like change it quickly. I think what we miss in the WTA, that's my opinion, because I feel like guys, they always been more united than like I always hear or I see in the news like Rafa or Djokovic or Roger, they always come up with some comments or they make something like they comment about ATP where I never see anything from our top top players in WT. They they always like quiet, they silent. I wish, you know, I would love to see that more, of course, not only unite ATP and WT, but at least just within WT, I would like, like, I don't know, our top top players like Serena or somebody to comment and come up and make a voice, you know, step up. Because I don't think, of course, somebody who is ranked top 15 in the world can make a huge change. I don't, I don't believe in that. Uh, obviously, uh, there's, it's been very uh, well documented that Novak Djokovic uh, is the president of the uh, ATP Players Council. Um, now he came down with a, a positive diagnosis of Corona and there's a couple of other guys, I believe Grigor Dimitrov and Viktor Troitsky and Borna Cioric. Uh, so that's obviously a setback for everybody. But but first first of all, Jorgen, just give me some kind of a an idea of Novak president, world number one. He's pushing uh, the history of the game. I mean, really, how how much time would somebody like Novak spend uh, on players' issues like this? And and is he capable in terms of time? Because how do you do that, P president and world number one? I think it's a very tough task, but um, when you sign up for it, I mean, you got to put your name up there if you want to be president. So I guess you have thought about it, that it's time consuming. So once you're the president, I think it's your responsibility to actually be there and attend the calls and try to, you know, make it better for the players because you're obviously the one being number one in the world, having the biggest voice. Or having one yeah. of the biggest voices so sure. um i think it has been challenging for him um especially i mean he missed a couple of calls um that has been discussed now in the press lately um but that doesn't mean that he's not involved i mean sure. sometimes you cannot attend every call you, you you know sometimes you're busy you have a you have other duties that you have to fulfill so i think he has been up to date via yeah. our you know, the guy that is responsible for us, Ross Hutchins, he has been in communication with him. So I think he has been up to date all the time. Did he make us a favor with that thing he just did? Um, of course not. I mean, you don't have to be a professor to say, okay, this, is, this was not good for tennis. But um, sure. I think he knows now. But um, coming back to if he's 
involved in decisions and if he can make an impact in the Players' Council, yes, he does. Mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, unbelievably bad luck. And I know that uh, uh, they, they ran the tour because the Serbian government and, and officials made the decision, not uh, the players necessarily. But of course, in the end, they are the ones playing. Uh, so, uh, Alex, you were the president. You had the likes of Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras. I mean, how involved were they in, in, or at all? I mean, what Novak and Roger and Rafa are doing by putting the names up there, I think is very commendable. And I think that the tour is very healthy because we do hear that they are interested in it. And of course, Novak is very involved in the old days, Alex. You know, I have to say that for them, it, it was not interesting at all. I mean, I remember once that uh, we were discussing about the Master Thousand because I was fighting and I was believing that I said, okay, you have like so many Grand Slams, like you have two on hard course, one on grass, we only have one on clay. Then we have the Master Thousands and they wanted to remove Monte Carlo from the Master Thousand. So I fought hard to say, okay, we cannot lose Monte Carlo. And I say, why don't we? Because you, you knew that they needed to rebuild the Indian Wells Stadium. And I said, why don't we play that on green clay? And then Miami, we do it on green clay as well. So we balance a little bit the, the circuit, you know, the tour. And Sampras came into one meeting. He said, like, if you guys are going to move that to clay, it's no chance I'm going to play that. And it was at the time the CEO from the ATP who was like shaking, thinking like if he loses Pete Sampras, you know, we're going to lose that tournament. So that was it about the conversation. I was fighting like for so many months about that issue. And once the number one in the world came and said that, no issue anymore. <laughs> so I'm not so sure that happens now, but before it used to be like that. And then like a few weeks later, I resigned as well. I said, okay, I'm not gonna continue because I spent my time trying to help the tour. So I don't know, Anastasia, if, if you have like a group now, like the boys have, which they have a WhatsApp group, which I don't know how amount of players, maybe 300 players are in the group or whatever. I don't know if you communicate to each other or not, because you said you, you're missing a little bit the power of the leader ones, which at some point it can be the other way. Yeah, we actually, we do have a WhatsApp group, but it's more like our council girls, but um We've been so like friendly and united during these times. It's amazing. So it's like very supportive and nice. Of course, like I talk to other players as well um, by WhatsApp or email and stuff like that, just to have their feedbacks and especially top 20 girls. And as I said, it's, it's not been a very positive feedback most of the time. So um, like last year, we also had Venus on tour uh, on council. We had Serena, Azarenka. That was also fun because like you said, the, those um, were like big names on the council and every time there is like a tournament board directors and stuff like that they stand up they make a speech and you can feel the power is something you know and also because there is still a little bit of like I wouldn't say discrimination but like WTA is always sort of like a shadow of ATP and you know we always discuss this center court matches you always have more ATP matches and stuff like that. So we also discussed this and that. And Serena was also in Venice. They were involved before. That was helpful. Yeah, I think I would really love to hear, and I think everybody listening uh, would love to hear what you guys think. Um, well, first of all, ATP and WTA, should they join? Which I sounds like you guys think that maybe we should. But what's the status of the smaller 
tournaments because obviously we always talk about the Grand Slams and then we talk about the ATP 1000 and the Premier One events. What about the events that support the players that are ranked 30, 40 in the world down to four, 500? How are they surviving uh, not having an event this year? And I mean, is there, is there a threat to the, ver to the lower ranked player from 50 down to 400, Jürgen? Well, I think we will see like a few tournaments that will not happen next year. That has been happening the last years on tour because they have been obviously struggling. I mean, rarely any 250 tournament has an insurance for something like that. So they would have to deal with a great loss. And if you think about it, how much money a 250 is making every year, I mean, it's very tough to compensate that loss hmm. within the next, I don't know, they probably need five, six, seven years to compensate that loss that they had this year. So right. knowing that it will be very difficult to keep all the tournaments, on the same hand, um, it's, for me, I feel very sorry for the tournaments that are being lost. Mm -hmm. um, because um, they most of the 250s, I mean, it's like a, it feels like a family tournament. You know, there's so many that they don't they don't do that for the money. Of course, they make a little, but they don't make big bucks. They they love the sport, and that's why I'm feeling sorry for them that some of them probably are going to lose their license or cannot play next year because of bankruptcy. But um, I think that in general with this pandemic tennis sticks together a little better okay. and i think there will be help from the big ones getting down to the smaller tournaments so as you could see now um even though there is no qualifying for whatever reason at the us open because there cannot be so many so many players on site and um cincinnati is happening in that week to give the players that are playing at the us open a tournament in advance to get ready to play best of five for the man. Mm -hmm. But on the same hand, they are USDA is giving out six, I don't know, over $6 million um, to ATP and WTA in order to create challengers and to pay back the players that have not been able to play qualities at the US Open. So I think there is in general tennis sticks together and they are going to fight that through i i doubt that there will be less opportunities for lower ranked players i think actually that this is a chance to unite tennis and that everybody will stick together and we will have uh, a better tour after that maybe i'm an optimist i am but let's see if if i'm too optimistic i love that you brought this conversation to the other side i was just thinking about I, well we need to find out what, what uh, does uh, the, the coronavirus, what good does it bring to our world? We know that it's, uh, there's a less pollution for our planet because the factories are not running and so on. So Anastasia, for you, are the, have you guys started talking about what can we do when we come back on the ATP tour? On the men's tour, we have a situation where Roger Federer uh, is getting old. He might be done in a couple of years. Rafa Nadal is in his mid-30s. Uh, Novak is not going to play for it. What's happening on the WTA tour? Are you 
uh, trying to attract younger fans? This is the big question for both tours. Well, we haven't been thinking about Roger and Rafa <laughs> when we speak on um, council, but definitely I think um, that's for sure that it's going to change a little bit in terms of uh, not the calendar, but like some tournaments will drop probably, which is also in a way normal and logical in this situation right now in the world. So um, there is a lot of struggle. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it could be also a new step. Unfortunately, there is always something really bad needs to happen in the world that for a change, you know. So we, um, yeah, we slowly discussing some stuff. We have ideas with the girls as well. And I think, yeah, it could be a next step for the younger generation and to think of something and maybe tour structure. Um, also, I think um, talking of uh, low rank players, I think we could maybe start thinking about um, prize money distribution and stuff at the tournaments. I think that could be also helpful. So that's, that's personally my opinion. And there are a lot of stuff you could, still discuss but uh, i mean right now we all focusing on the upcoming events like a very near future because we gotta um, somehow play still finish this season and my head is going like this thinking of uh ranking points i don't know how we're gonna even uh, maybe you're gonna have an idea like i don't know what to think how we're gonna count the points it's just it drives me crazy completely yeah. <laughs> but are you ready to play anastasia yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I didn't. I I've been playing since uh, Indian Wells. You know, I'm like probably in the best shape ever right now. But <laughs> so so yeah. So let's see. I'm pumped. I'm excited. Of course. Um, as I said, I have some doubts, and deep inside, I'm not completely comfortable of traveling around the world. But um, yeah, again, I think we we gotta take everything we can, all the chances possible to try play something. I still believe everybody needs matches you can't just stay one year without official matches it's very tough for athletes yeah uh, jürgen what is it that uh, that players miss the most uh when you have to take a break like this one or when you're injured or even when you stop your career what is it about being on tour that is the most positive don't talk about money and don't talk about ranking but the time you spend no i think the toughest part of being at home for such a long time was practicing into nowhere, I'm calling it. I don't know if that's a good English yeah. translation, but um, you know, you don't know what you're practicing for. And that's a really tough situation because we have over the last, I mean, everybody that has been playing, we always had goals. And the longest that we have not been playing a tournament, if you're healthy, is six weeks. Mm. And all of a sudden you have this, crazy amount of time to prepare because we knew already i don't know mid-april we knew probably it's not going to start before and mid of august so um what are you going to do it's going to be for me it's going to be really interesting to see who has been working what have they been working on is somebody coming back really bulked up or has he completely changed technique on something i'm really looking forward to see those changes maybe somebody you know gained weight and they because he has to practice because he couldn't deal with the situation of not knowing when yeah. we are going to continue so i think that's that was the most difficult part and coming back on tour i mean this is a different life for me 
I mean, have been, unfortunately, I've been injured a couple of times in my career. So I know what it means being at home for seven, eight, nine months. But for somebody that is not used to it, you have so much time that you don't know what to do with. So I think it's going to be very interesting, as I said, seeing how the different players have dealt with those situations. Yeah, well, Matt, you know what, Jurgen? That will change now that you are retired of singles because you will only play for the joy of tennis, which when you only have goals in your mind, you always are stressful about goals. But when you become older like Mats and I, we hit last year at Roland Garros and with one ball, we played for 40 minutes. The ball was like this big and dark and we said, okay, we're done. We're done. Matt were hurting on his back, me on my shoulder. So we had enough. So don't worry that that will change with the time. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> um, well, well, guys, thank you so much. Anastasia, thank you very much for being part of us. And, and wish you good luck, Jürgen. Thank you. Uh, both of you guys stay safe. Uh, thank you for doing uh, what you're doing for the sport. And I think it's, this, this is a situation where we need to realize that, that we're not uh, uh, selfish athletes, but you got to look after your own interests because tennis at the same time as I'm really hoping we get back to playing, it needs to be at a certain level. So for you guys, very difficult times. Uh, Alex, thank you very much. We will thank see you. you. Good luck to uh, you. And, um, and again, Anastasia, Jürgen, great to have you on the Tennis Legends podcast here on Eurosport uh, and hope to run into you very soon on the road. Thank oh, you, everyone. So thank you guys for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.